Fuck it, we'll go live. So, you know why that Windows XP update happened? Oh, wait, no, I fucked it up already. God damn it. It's all good. No, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> but yeah, that malware hack uh, happened because all those computers were running Windows XP, which hasn't been patched since 2014. 2014. But, like, it's the most widely used operating system in the world by far, including things like ATMs and like billboards and what? like just everything, almost anything. Like think of something that you walk by every day that has like a, a small screen on it or whatever. Right. Or like the when you go to check out at Walmart and they have like a little checker, that right. is most likely running probably a version of, of Windows XP or even older versions of Windows. But you would think that that stuff needs to be secure and probably needs to be running the most up-to-date thing. I mean, they force people to get their software I mean, updated all the time. It, it, but if it's a billboard or an ATM, I mean, it doesn't have Wi-Fi in it. You know what I mean? Like, but someone's AT- probably got to go up there with a USB drive, like climb up to the top of the billboard and be like, I don't want this billboard to get hacked well, with ransomware. I got you. But an ATM, you would think, I mean, a dude just walks up to that and opens it up and stuff. I mean, that's not... You're telling me that the money, the guy who like loads twenties into the ATM now also has to be like an IT professional or whatever. Dude, <laughs> like, I was a teller. Well, I mean, you just plug it in, right? I mean, you probably have to do that what once a year. No, you're probably right. I but don't know. you know what? You know what? That costs money that corporations could easily spend on their CEO salaries instead. So I mean, yeah. why bother? <laughs> They're just playing playing a crapshoot with it, you know. Right. Well, but I mean, some of these, some of the biggest targets, some of the biggest victims of the the malware were things like the NHS in Britain, which they're already trying to cut funding for. So I'm sure one of the things that goes first in a system like that is, you know, guys who know how to run the computers, who have probably been saying, like, guys, we we really need to stop running Windows XP because they haven't updated it in years. And they're like, oh, the the budget, though, we got to cut the budget. (laughs) The taxpayers are suffering, everyone. Um, you know, that's the first thing the that you'll hear <laughs> from a Republican until something goes wrong the when a Democrat's in charge. And then they're relief. like, I can't believe, you know, they w- they had the audacity, you know, to cut the budget for this when it's a, <laughs> now that it's a problem. But yet when they're in charge, they don't they don't seem to to share that. Then they're like, well, it's just it's still the Democrats fault because they should have fixed it before we got before we got here. You know, yep. I like how your impersonation of an NHS administrator sounded like Jeff Sessions. <laughs> yeah. Here in the British National Institute of Health, uh, we take uh, internet uh, technology, computer wizardry, and all that very seriously. And that wizardry, they can get high. Don't touch my beer. No. <laughs> that wizardry, they can get high, but it cannot be from marijuana. So. Yeah. You can only get high on Jesus. Seriously. That's the, that's the exception. Spiritual wizardry. <laughs> are listening to the liquid flannel podcast bringing you perspective from the plains i'm chuck williams joining me in nebraska is brendan williams brendan how's it going man this news week has been intense and i can't wait to break it down well yes let's all suck it up and get right into it and also as usual in arlington texas we've got the great matthew hodges matt how you doing I'm, I'm good, man. I finally got my uh, computer booted back up after getting infected by this worm, um, but they just let me back in because they found out that I have no money. 
to pay them and none of my files are worthwhile so i think that i got an actual link from you but i wasn't <laughs> sure you were also talking about being a nigerian prince or something like that too well so. that was from my old yahoo account which i only used to send like really dodgy looking emails <laughs> they okay. just they looked at your files and they were like this isn't worth 300 dollars <laughs> like let's just give up yeah like, it's not it's worth it. Yeah, that happened in the media this week. All kinds of things happened. But also on this episode, we have another fantastic guest. Matt, why don't you uh, introduce him to the audience for us? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, He double majored in law and public policy and planning. He works out in Portland uh, doing some really interesting research on automated vehicles and urban planning. And he's also a really good friend of mine, Alexis Biddle. You're on Liquid Flannel, man. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, th- thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I've been a long-time listener, and uh, I've been talking with Matthew for a long time about getting this conversation going, and it's a really good one to have, so totally, let's do it. Awesome. Let's jump in. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel I stole a kiss at the turn of a mile so you're making robots to murder us. How's that going? Well, that's the plan. That, that, that's the plan, but it's all about the execution. And it's going to be really challenging. So <laughs> no, the execution. Great choice of words. He yeah. literally just used the word execution. You know, is it really Sky, just Skynet about confirmed. determining how cute they need to look for us to accept death? <laughs> right. Exactly. How do you determine between? Uh, the really low-level humans that are worth killing versus the ones that are going to make better robots, you know? <laughs> right. Well, that's why, yeah, that's why I, I hear you study uh, philosophy as well. Does that help you explain, uh, you know, your uh, your position to people as you, like, just randomly, like, meet them for the first time and you're like, hey, what's up? I'm making the robots. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting question, actually. I, I work in an uh, engineering firm even though I'm like one of the only person basically in the whole firm that's not a engineer by uh, education. And mm-hmm. what I do a lot of is systems engineering. And um, it's about like traffic signal timing and the way that city networks are uh, timed for like optimal traffic flows. Oh, and nice. uh, oh yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a whole uh, field that I'm like totally unfamiliar with and have been, have been learning a lot about. Um, but philosophy definitely gave me the ability to think like in a, on a systems level basis. And I, and I think that is helping me in, in, in doing my job, but it's somewhat one of those like very tangential ways that philosophy is ever, ever relevant in your career. <laughs> <laughs> right. Nice. Okay. So Alexis, the, it sounds, the research you're doing, um, some of this sounds like it would be really useful anyway, talking about. Uh, traffic signal timing, arterial flow, maybe some urban design in there. Yeah. That that sounds like it would be useful even without the specter of automated vehicles, but how do you feel how how does that all relate to the the separate work that you're doing also on helping cities plan for automation? Yeah. Yeah, so that's the more interesting work and that's the work that I'm not quite getting paid for yet because it doesn't exist. <laughs> But I, so I'll give you guys a little bit of background. I started uh, into this field because I had a fellowship that landed me at the Oregon Department of Transportation, and I was the connected and automated vehicle advisor uh, for the department. I helped them start a steering team where we have like started the initial steps of evaluating like what the hell do automated vehicles mean for a state agency that operates a lot of the roadways in Oregon. Right. That work led me to uh, 
what I, I was the program manager for this project on uh, the statewide architecture for connected and automated vehicles. All right, can you unpack that a little bit? What's a what's yeah. a statewide architecture for that look like? Yeah, so it's it's basically the it's a concept for the state to model like how they're going to run future programs uh, related to the infrastructure that's necessary to implement connected and automated vehicles. And the reason there's a difference between connected and automated is that automated vehicles can run like just internally where all of the computational power that's on board exists within the vehicle. They're sensing the world and figuring out how to navigate it on their own. Okay. But then there's also a field called connected vehicles, which aren't necessarily automated, uh, but what, they're connected in that they have communication with either infrastructure, other vehicles, or pedestrians or bicyclists or people right. in the streets. Right. So it's kind of the, yeah, the difference between uh, automated vehicle in like the current world where the majority of cars are driven by people versus yeah. an automated vehicle in a potential future world where the majority of cars are actually automated and they're all talking to each other and sharing yeah. information so they can do crazy stuff like be five inches from each other and never more or less right. than five inches from each other right. at any given time. And yeah, like or, line up or, or, or or have very busy, huge intersections with uh, heavy vehicle flows that are, have zero signals and cars just crisscross mm -hmm. each other based on an algorithm that the central intersection figures out. Right. Oh, man. And if you watch a, a video of it like simulated, it gives you like a literal panic attack because you're like, oh, <laughs> oh my. Yeah, right. It's it's bizarre thinking. And, and honestly, there's a, there's a huge problem with public perception and just how dangerous something looks despite how good we can do it with a computer. Right. Like no matter how safe it is, there's some things that people just might feel too uncomfortable with. I mean, who wouldn't mm -hmm. want to feel like they're Clive Owen in every single driving scene that guy's ever been in? You what know? if in the automated <laughs> car future, you could just choose between like grandma mode where it's just like, <laughs> all right, we're going to go really slow. Or you could be like, oh, daredevil mode where your car's just like doing like sweet, like, you know, fast and furious slides. It's all cutting over up place, onto the sidewalks. It's driving through busy marketplaces and never hitting anybody. Yeah. <laughs> right. They just put like loops on the side of the interstate. And they're like, hey, if you want to do the loop, like, hey, it's optional, but go for it, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome i'm getting a patent on that yeah <laughs> so the so on what i'm actually doing with work now uh, I, I work for a consulting firm that i worked with when i was working at odot in this fellowship and the they're working with a number of different age, uh, different groups that are trying to help policymakers make decisions about like figuring out what are the long-term implications of automated vehicles like are there going to be risks like on first like in, in the same way that when we installed the federal highway system in the 1940s through the 1970s there were many things that people overlooked and this is as no kidding of, of a revolution <laughs> yeah <laughs> wasn't the interstate highway system originally designed to like move like armored troop transports like a, from different military bases or whatever like wasn't that the intended the yeah that's right uh, yeah eisenhower took a, a tour um when he was still in the army this is before he got into politics but took a tour across the united states to figure out what transportation looked like and his report that he ended up uh writing and i i had the chance to see some excerpts from that with a, a touring national archives exhibit um, he was talking about how, I mean, there are cities that you can't get to on paved roads. 
Um, it, you know, like there will be paved roads for a little while and then it just turns into like dirt and mud tracks. And if we really needed to mobilize like troops to move from, you know, the southern states out to California or something to defend against a Chinese invasion or whatever, um, we couldn't do it. Like it would take weeks to get there. Um, and that was that was sort of the, the uh, germination of, of the idea of an interstate um, interstate highway system. Yeah, leave it leave it to the uh, military to not think of unintended consequences, though. I mean, it was right, a genius. Right. It was a genius move, though, because can you imagine if you know someone tried to pitch that if the interstate highway system didn't exist today and Democrats tried to pitch it as like, hey, it'll just help people. You think that would ever get done? <laughs> no. Like, absolutely not. Yeah, so it you got to throw that thing. And be like, hey, it's a national like, security kind of emergency people? here. We got to do this. Yeah, what right. kind of people? I think that's. Will it I think help shareholders or you know? <laughs> Everything would be toll roads. You know, yeah. you still wouldn't be able yeah. to like drive from Omaha to Denver but, um, without geez, yeah. you know budgeting in an extra forty bucks for all the tolls yeah. you had to pay on the way there. I mean, yeah, I think uh, automated vehicles probably will be, you know, the biggest, you know innovation or disruption or whatever you want to call it you know probably since you know in driving technology since the interstate highway system right um, yeah or even or even the automobile itself like replacing horse and buggy with vehicles is also right i mean yeah. it, it does seem to me like it is that much of a of a step up i think it'll make like people look at like the smartphone and be like well the smartphone just changed the world you know and it's like automated vehicles i think are going to be even more you know cultural impact than oh yeah yeah well, it's interesting because smartphones actually, I think, are going to have a huge role uh, with automated vehicles because of the possibility of using things like Uber and Lyft or sh- like having shared mobility. Mm-hmm. That can make a huge difference in the outcomes we see in terms of how land use works out and traffic congestion and and transit, whether or not transit will exist in the future. Well, and Alexis, I've got, you know, I've got two questions related to that. And one of them has to do with this this report that you sent us. Um, called Taming the Autonomous Vehicle, a Primer for Cities that looked like a pretty good overview of, you know, the challenges and the opportunities that are that are popping up. Uh, one of the things that the report mentions is that, I mean, we've, we've even been falling into this trap tonight that that highways aren't probably the, the biggest opportunity for autonomous vehicles. It's more cities. It's, it's going to be better for cities opportunities for growth of this technology and the opportunities for making people's lives easier are happening within urban areas. So right. I, 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 I hope you can talk to that. And then also, you know, cities are also the domain of public transportation. So can you, can you speak a bit to, I mean, what's this going to do to things like subway systems and buses uh, and you know even streetcars and trolleys and things like that if it becomes that much cheaper to have an autonomous car that could just come pick you up right so i'll start with taking your first question quickly and <laughs> and say that freeways are no longer relevant in urban areas they'll still be relevant for connecting places but they won't need to be nearly as wide and as big as they are today Okay. Right. But yeah, the the change to a highway is going to be much I mean it's like you drive there in a straight line, a robot can drive there in a straight line. It's it's not really that different. Right. Like, right. And navigate it, around the urban space. And and there's probably not going to be a huge increase in like the volume of traffic either. You know, you're still going to well, be moving that's a, goods. Hold on, hold on. That, the volume of freight might not change very much. Okay. But the volume of people will change because 
as you introduce capacity into a system, it induces more demand. Right. All right. So, like, every, there, it's statistically true that every time you inter- introduce a road expansion uh, in an area with, like, they've normalized this for level populations, that within 10 years, that expansion, you reach the same levels of congestion as there were 10 years before. And so it's almost like Moore's Law right. of, of computational power. Right. Well, I mean, think about how many people today are like, oh, man, I, it sucks that I don't have a car because I can't drive anywhere. But what if there was an app and it cost $5 for you to have a car and drive? Yeah, somewhere? yeah, like, sure. You yeah. Would, there would be more people driving. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or also, like, what if I didn't have to be awake while I was driving? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Or paying attention. Or what if I just gave up my license because I'm really old, you know? Yeah. yeah. yeah you, also no, get, you also get to that libertarian dream where libertarians say, you know, everything should devolve to states' rights, and if you don't like it, then you should just, you know, move out of that state. You know, one of the states major barriers... States' rights in free market. One of the, yeah, one of the major barriers to people actually doing that, which is, you know, the problem with civil rights, is the people whose rights are being the most infringed upon are also the ones with the least resources to actually make that kind of a change. So you're basically, like, dropping the barrier for for people on the, like, the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum to be able to actually move, you know? If, if all of a sudden U-Hauls, you know, you can move your family because you don't have to, you don't have to pay like crazy and, um, you know, the vehicle is going to take care of you while you're on the road. Like, I, I could see that being a, a force for positive social change in that sense. Right. Well, and I think, yeah, even though like the, uh, there might not be a lot of impact to like the way that interstates are like functionally used, I can't even imagine if we go down this road that it seems to be going down where each different state is determining its own autonomous vehicle related laws and regulations. Yeah. It's a huge risk. Your, your car is basically going to be, you know, can you imagine if there's a state that's like no autonomous vehicles allowed and you're driving one, like, what is it like you have to bypass that whole state or it just turns off or like, you know, it's not as it's a system that really does need federal oversight in order to provide a consistent interstate experience. Would you agree with that, Alexis? I mean, do, does it need federal oversight, or is it a matter of getting... It, no, it, it definitely does. States do not have anywhere close to the resources to be doing safety analysis of, of the type of uh, like algorithms that go into automated vehicles, and they don't have testing facilities. There would be a whole new branch of the Departments of Transportation for them to start doing something they've never done before. Whereas the FHWA has a, a group that establishes state safety standards. And I think it's right. NHTSA, okay. National Highway Safety Transportation Association. And they'll be the place where I think we figure out the standards that need to go into like how to approve a, a vehicle as being safe for the streets or not, just like they do now with normal cars. Right. Yeah. I guess thinking about it now, I, I am I do wonder if the industry and, you know, groups will try to band together and say like, hey, we can just self regulate. You know, we'll just form like an industry commission or whatever of like a, it's the autonomous vehicles, you know, operators association or whatever. And we just we self regulate. You know, we don't need the federal government in here. Right, yeah, uh, you know, if, with a tr- if this happens under President Trump, you know that who knows that could very well. Uh, <laughs> that that'll be, be the be that'll the be the outcome. only option on the table if it happens under President Trump. Yeah, but hey, to get to to get to the second point of your question, uh, like what's what's the deal with like urban areas and transit? Yeah, I, I think that that's the bigger deal and the bigger opportunity 
And the, the question comes down first and foremost to whether or not it's a shared system or an individually owned system where okay. whether, whether or not we use ride sharing services like Uber and Lyft or everyone like buys their own individual automated vehicles. And this, this breaks down into what uh, Lauren Isaac, she now works for Easy Ride or Easy Mile, which is a autonomous vehicle uh, producer based in the United States. But she started out working at MTC, the Metropolitan Transportation Commission of uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. And she's like one of the foremost thinkers of on automated vehicles. But she says that the, that there's like a uh, nightmare scenario and a utopia or like a dystopia utopia. Okay, walk uh, us through those. <laughs> possibility. So with the dystopia, it's that everyone owns their own vehicle, and these vehicles are capable of just, you know, driving around in circles, waiting for someone to get it. They never have to park. They never have to pay for parking. And they basically create a whole bunch of zero-occupant vehicles, which is a whole class of vehicles that don't even exist to make congestion worse. (laughs) And uh, it would just be a ridiculous waste of resources and, and, you know, horrible for traffic and also only accessible to the richest people. Right. right, the people with the most money or whatever. Although, you know, it, in some ways, you know, depending on how the, the pricing or whatever, the subscription model works out, because I'm sure it'll just be like you pay monthly to your car service and you can just have your car or whatever. Right, but yeah. I don't know. I think it will also have the potential. I mean, you talk about wasted resources. I mean, owning a car is a huge resource, resource waste because 99% of the time it's unused. Yeah. And it's right. sitting there taking up space in your garage right. or in a parking lot somewhere. Right. Um, exactly. So there is a lot of efficient inefficiencies in that system. Yeah. But, I've, I've, I've read studies that say that you could, for every one automated vehicle, you could replace between 9 and 20 what's known our, what, what is now being called legacy vehicles. Just huh. like uh, normal uh, human-driven vehicles, right. that that's that could mean like we we could have eighty percent fewer cars and still have just as much functionality without nearly the amount of space dedicated towards Jeez, par- parking nice. parking lots and things like that. That's nuts. Uh, well, and and uh, it's come up a couple of times, and this is an issue you and I have discussed before. But um, what does this look like in terms of uh, parking and the resources that cities use to? spend on parking and reserve land or build facilities um, to park people's cars. Yeah. So, I mean, parking is still going to be necessary, but to a much, much less extent uh, in, in downtown areas, especially. Yeah. They're basically transportation planners look at things from peak periods and determine the whole system based on when top demand is. You kind of have to build it for that because right. otherwise it will be at its worst, very bad off. There's a lot of things I could unpack there. Because I disagree, I disagree with that system of thinking, <laughs> but that's the way it's done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of just potential about like, well, how is it how is it implemented and used? And I think there's going to be a lot of of growing pains. Uh, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of people trying you know different models. And you know, are you paying for time? Are you paying per ride? You know, are you paying? You know, a yeah. flat rate whether you use it or not, no matter how much you use it. You know, there's a lot of different. Right you know, questions about like, how is this really going to work? But I think it's going to be a generational divide. I mean, like, what do you guys personally think? I mean, on on one hand, I would probably look at a system of saying like, well, maybe I don't need to own a car if I can just get a car on demand anytime. But, you know, you lose a lot of that autonomy and you also lose mm-hmm. like, I keep a lot of stuff in my car. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I have car <laughs> seats for children. 
Um, yeah. Do I have to be like every time I get a new car, I'm like strapping my own car seat in and out? Like, oh, yeah. that's a nightmare. You know what I mean? So then maybe I want to buy my own car. Um, but I think someone who's of a younger generation, I don't think they're going to want to buy and own their own car. They're like, I got to take my car in. Who loves taking their car into the shop to the mechanic right. or doing it yourself or whatever? I think that's just going to be totally gone. And that'll well, be a and, huge and generational we, divide. We know that that's true already because uh, this study just recently came out showing that millennials are, I mean, it's it's like a like an 80% drop from the boomers to the millennials um, in terms of making these big purchases uh, like homes and automobiles. And, um, I mean, partially that's because millennials tend to, uh, gravitate to urban centers where those things aren't necessary. And it's also because millennials seem to value, um, you know, like going on trips and going out to brunch or whatever, instead of making these, these big, like lifetime purchases that have been the standard in the economy for so long. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, yeah. if you oh, don't oh. if you don't already own a car and you're not used to being like, oh, I'll just leave all my crap in my car or whatever, then you're just like, oh, well, it's a little bit of extra work to like lug a giant bag of my stuff around or whatever as I like go from Uber to Uber or like use public transportation. Right. But if that's all you've ever done, then you're like, no, I'm fine with I'm fine with it. I'm used to it. I'm comfortable with it. I'm mu- I much rather not be paying three hundred dollars a month for a car that sits in a parking lot 90 percent of the time well sure yeah. right plus yeah. yeah insurance or yeah oh sometimes you hit a pothole and then it's six hundred dollars to fix your bumper or whatever you know right yeah. so actually an interesting study and this is only speaking to millennials with relation to car ownership but only about 15 percent of and a couple of studies have, have looked at this and I, I don't know the average between the two but one of them cites that only like 15 percent of uh, the decrease in ownership can be associated with uh, millennial preferences compared to the fact that we suffered from the worst downturn in the, in the economy uh, oh, right. since, yeah. the, since the Great Depression. And that yeah, we literally huge... just don't have the money to buy cars. <laughs> and we have, we, I mean, it's, it's hitting us now, even though we have a better economy, because we still have stunted development where a lot of people aren't, are still lagging in their retirement. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's complicated. <laughs> but I think Matt, you know, Matt, you were talking about public, you know, what's the impact on public transportation? I think, yeah, I mean, public transportation, I think, will gain massively from the potential for, you know, automation. If you look at, you know, buses, um, you know, I think automation of buses is probably easier than automation of an individual car. Right. Well, and that's, that, that speaks to the kind of the soul of my question because I could see uh, as an environmentalist and as somebody who uh, is interested in social justice, I could see a big social justice boon from individual vehicles driving around. You know, you're going to improve access, especially for people who can't or don't buy a car. You know, there's going to be more, more flow of labor. They're going to be, you know, just more, more people buying products at, at different businesses and, and being able to get to school reliably and things like that. Um, but from an environmental perspective, we know that buses are so much more efficient, much smaller carbon footprint for, you know, per person moved than individual vehicles. You know, even a robust, super cheap taxi service isn't going to help with that. So, I mean, Alexis, like, what's that look like? Are, are they going to... Uh, automate the buses or are we going to see the bus decline? Yeah. So I'm, I'm so glad you asked this because uh, it's the, like the heart of what I, what I find is the biggest opportunity and also the biggest risk in 
automation. And I'll go into the the second. So I gave you the nightmare dystopian scenario. Yeah. The utopian the utopian scenario um, is more about like like having urban uh, automated vehicles assist uh, creating more livable neighborhoods in denser areas with fewer carbon emissions in a healthier community that has more access to active transportation right. and transit. After these messages, we'll be right back. You know about the Bundy case out here, how bad they fucked that up, the federal process? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Dude, so fucking ridiculous. Yeah, I was I was addicted to the... Uh, oh, you mean how they all got out or they got, got off? Right. Yeah, they fucking... They fucking held for <laughs> ransom or hostage fucking a federal wildlife refuge for a fucking month and yeah. they got off scot-free. Well, one of them Except got, well, like, one, one, murdered and run one over of them, a right. truck or whatever. So, I mean, <laughs> right. they didn't all get off scot-free. <laughs> yeah, but the guy was <laughs> clearly... Don't forget. Uh, he was exercising yeah. <laughs> his Second Amendment rights, right, which are guaranteed... <laughs> the right to die in a hail of right. bullets, I guess. That's just like, <laughs> you know, when you're a kid and you're, you're fighting with your sister and you're like, I'm just punching the air. <laughs> right. And if you happen to be in the air, right, you're like, I'm just exercising my Second Amendment <laughs> rights. If FBI agents happen to be in front of me because I'm taking over a federal <laughs> wildlife building, you know, that's their, that's on them. <laughs> well, there was that, that podcast from uh, Oregon Public Broadcasting that was, uh, it was called This Land is Our Land, and it was outstanding, mm-hmm. just covering the, like, day-to-day ins and outs of that whole trial, and mm-hmm. the day that everyone yeah. was acquitted, the reporters were just sitting right, like, you could tell, it was like... It was a it was a precursor of the weird hangover that we all felt uh, the day after the election. Uh, yeah, when we're all sitting yeah. around going like, "How how did what? this happen?" <laughs> what? Yeah. So I I live five blocks from that courthouse. Oh and yeah. I went down I went down there the day it happened and it was just like Trump esque people were just like having barbecues and like oh, blasting yeah. like blasting Kid Rock. Oh, <laughs> Kid Rock really is yeah. making the comeback. They just had like a old, they were like, yeah. we can only play Kid Rock and Ted Nugent. Like, those are the only two artists that we're actually able to play. And yeah. uh, <laughs> Three Doors Down, I think. <laughs> and Three Doors Down. They're <laughs> iffy. I don't know. I don't know. You know, transit faces a, a, the potential to have a death spiral and go go out of business rather quickly, like within the next like 10, 15, 20 years, I would imagine. And that case involves, you know, they have declining ridership because more and more people can afford to take automated vehicles. Right. And then they have layoffs, which means that they have to start paying a lot of people's pensions sooner, which means then they have to limit their operations. And then once they're, and it just creates a cycle where transit agencies will collapse. And then it will be completely privatized. Our entire transportation system is going to, I mean, not roads themselves, but. The, Which actually works against any of those social justice and uh, right. environmental uh, outcomes. Right. They'll, I mean, their main goal will be to drive people as many miles as possible, if that's their model for charging, huh. which will just be a nightmare. So there's another nightmare scenario in that regard, where even if it's wide, widely adopted and not just available to the wealthiest, it's it's still going to have a lot of issues. Well, how do we prevent it? A lot of people are struggling to answer that question right now. You know, some people have pr- proposed a 
special tax just on automated vehicles, like a vehicle miles traveled tax. You can't really use the gas tax to to do this because they're likely it's likely that automated vehicles are going to be electric. It right. doesn't match it. It just matches mm-hmm. for business models for cars that are running twenty four hours a day. It's way more efficient than dirty engines that need a lot more maintenance and all kinds of things like that right yeah as well right yeah so there's yeah a couple of people talking about like a vehicle miles travel tax and uh i think something like much more radical needs to be be done and i'm writing a paper about this right now for the american planning association and i'm going to be presenting on it next october at the oregon apa planning conference in portland oregon if anyone listening wants to attend <laughs> sorry Absolutely. for the sh- sh- shame- shameless plug come on down no we appreciate that <laughs> yeah it, it'll be uh i think late october uh oregon apa conference if, if we've got a if we've got a liquid flannel fan out there in the pnw go we'll make you a field correspondent <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, so I have an idea about this, and I, I think it's a good one because it's mine. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> so it, it's, it has to do with creating a tax that's dynamic for automated vehicles, where you the, the first thing is that it, the rate of the tax increases the more miles you travel in an automated vehicle. So f- first of all, you have to pre- I have to preface this with saying that the cost of a vehicle without a driver in it like Uber and Lyft, it could be, we could be paying like five to 10% of what we pay now for this because of how much uh, labor is part of the cost of that trip. Right. Right. You're paying for electricity usage. And that's like, if you're just riding in a car for an hour, like how much electricity is it really draining? Like it could be like a dollar or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also where does the electricity come from? You know, like hydro or yeah. nuclear or wind or something like that is going to be so much cleaner than uh, like coal fired or, or right. LNG or something like that. Yeah. And, and also the cost of the vehicle amortized over its lifespan. So another factor is that transit agencies are very slow to adapt to this type of thing. And it's, they also face labor unions that are unlikely to be willing to give up their seat at the driver's wheel, so to speak, yeah. to, uh, to automated vehicles because they have a union that's going to protest the shit out of this. Right. Well, I mean, it's it's going to be such a big deal for, you know, trucking and public transportation employees, you know, like school, theoretically, a school bus driven by uh, an autonomous or a connected vehicle could be even safer than what we have right now. Um, and yeah. yeah, so you're dealing with a whole bunch of labor that's going to have to transition to something else if we see these big revolutions i feel like for a long time if not forever there's going to be a dude in there who's like hey don't pee on the bus please there's got to be that guy in there for at least for a a long time so maybe someday that doesn't have to be that anymore but for a long time it will be (laughs) that that's the type of advice that we're giving transit agencies right now is to say you need to go talk to the labor unions and have this conversation where saying where you say, ten years from now, you're gonna be looking at being out of a job completely. Like we need to have a transition plan so that we can have people that still work on buses as like community officers to ensure people feeling safe, you know, because I wouldn't I mean, I guarantee it would I would feel very uncomfortable getting on a shared bus, a shared autonomous bus with people because they'll, they'll be able to operate it you know, three, four in the morning, whenever, 24 hours a day. Right. And you'll, you'll, you'd have scenarios, which would be pretty ugly. And it'd be good to have someone on board. 
right where there's no where there's no one there who's acting as like an impartial you know <laughs> moderator or whatever of disputes yeah. yeah right yeah exactly and i mean obviously that's not as good of a job you know as driving a bus right. you want to get paid you wouldn't pay as well and uh, well, they'll just put a webcam in the front, and then it'll be like a guy in a call center or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they get like teenagers to right play, up. you know, like you know, like bus simulator, but they're actually driving a bus. Uh, you know, just <laughs> right. playing online. Yeah. Or just have like but a yeah. chat roulette of like bus cams. Yeah. <laughs> you know how they do? Like sometimes when you go to uh, the fast food place, uh, the person who takes your order at the drive-through is actually in a call center. Yep. Um, that they've been oh, yeah. doing that more and more because it's more efficient to like handle the ordering in a call center wow. environment where it's not as noisy as like the kitchen or whatever. Um, right. So yeah, but um, yeah, no, I like the idea of like the uh, the logarithmic or not logar the uh, exponential kind of tax or whatever where it's like yeah. hey, it's really cheap to take a super short ride, but if you take a super long ride, then it's like it ramps up you know astronomically from there. Well, but and it the also seems is, like, like what we do you could... do with all that tax money that makes that makes it better or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, what are you doing with yeah. that revenue? So to help let me, the environment or to help the, the automated, you know, car, whatever si- yeah. system, I guess. So let me, let me explain the rest of this idea before I answer that, which is that I also want to make it uh, essentially free or like extremely subsidized for people that are willing to take a shared uh, automated vehicle to the nearest transit station. If they live in an area where there is one. You know, oh, okay. like within, and and that and and also having a payment platform where you click one button and you get both the automated vehicle fee and the transit fee, so it's like a f- seamless system where you can transfer from automated vehicle to a, you know high frequency transit system. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. no, that makes a lot of sense. So I think a lot of the revenue needs to go into operations, so of the transit system, so we can have higher frequency and more capacity. And this could like revolutionize the way that streets are, because you won't have nearly as much traffic on normal streets, and you can use the the money to both build up bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure, and also the infrastructure that's necessary to build automated vehicles. Because there's going to be things like uh, automated vehicles need to have machine reading capability and streets need to be machine readable and that's a whole level of infrastructure that it hasn't even really been figured out yet because we don't know what the model of automated vehicle is going to be that's like the norm like what the standard is yeah no that seems like a really great idea and it, that really sparked my imagination into thinking like yeah if you're using some sort of like bus-esque you know automated mass person transit system you know you don't have to have 50 autonomous vehicles driving people from one like from downtown to a neighborhood or whatever, if they're all just going the same way, it's much more efficient to get them on a bus. But then it's like, well, then once you get to your neighborhood, then, you know, if you, or, you know, to the nearest, you know, transit center or whatever, then what do you do? I guess you could either like order up an autonomous Uber or you could just be like, oh, I'll just walk, or maybe I'll get like a rent-a-bike thing or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And I would exactly. totally love to do that, to be like, oh, most of my commute I just get on the autonomous thing, but then when I get a little bit closer to home, like I can actually like be outside and right. do, yeah. do yeah. something right. active. And, for, and, for and, and, with, and with less traffic, we can design streets more towards that human environment. Right. Nice. Yeah. Oh, man, that would be amazing, yeah. The utopia future sounds a lot better than the dystopia one. Yep. I don't know how. Yeah, that it's kind of funny how that worked out. <laughs> so, I, so the reason the, the reason I think this is a really interesting time to be in is that if we do this tax in advance of this huge opportunity to decrease the cost of transportation, people won't notice that it's a tax. 
But like if we decrease the cost and then levy the tax later, it will impact people and they'll be like, oh, it's, this is hitting me. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, as right. much as, yeah, as much as people hate the word tax, I feel like to if you can propose it in a way where it's like, hey, look, you know, this is a tax that is, you know, on the autonomous vehicles that are, you know, that need that need this regulation or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. That's probably actually yeah. Well, what you end up doing is now I just psyched myself out. No taxes and regulations. There must be somebody who could do the better job than me at this. You call it a user fee, and it turns out that like user fees are way more acceptable to people when you do surveys than taxes are. Yeah. So Oregon actually already has a model that I think could be adapted to do this more dynamic, complicated thing. And what they have is called the road usage charge. And it's a vehicle miles travel tax that allows people there's like, it's a volunteer pilot program where uh, people pay tax based on the miles they travel. It's uh, and it works out to be like, if you uh, have a more efficient vehicle than the average vehicle, you're paying a little bit more than you would like a Prius would pay more under this, under this model, but it's, it, right. you still save a lot of, save a lot of money from the gas efficiency of a Prius. It doesn't like discount right. that. Right. Um, but so this model is like not dynamic, but it is, it's, it's basically addressing the issue in the transportation fine funding and, um, problem, which is that cars are getting more efficient. Uh, and that means that the price per gallon or the uh, revenue per gallon is, or I'm sorry, revenue per mile is decreasing. And so over time there has been this decline in our revenues and while construction costs for transportation projects has been increasing steadily. So there's this huge funding gap where more and more of our general funds are going into funding transportation projects. Yeah. Right. Well, and I also think, yeah, I mean, infrastructure, you know, has been a buzzword for a while. And I think, you know, looping this into that type of thing and saying like, hey, you know, we need to, you know, invest in our infrastructure, you know, to prepare for this. Um, and to make it so that it doesn't, it's not the dystopian nightmare, you know, scenario of the yeah. future. You know, that's why this tax is needed. But I think you were saying the Prius is getting charged more under the system because it's designed in a way to offset the revenue that would be generated from the gas tax. So you're saying, hey, they're spending less on the gas tax. We have to tax them extra because they're spending less in gas to help it equal out. But yeah, you're right. That sounds counterintuitive. I mean, and, 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 and when you look at, and I mean, it's it, it becomes especially uh, important when you look at electric vehicles because they pay nothing in gas tax, but they're using the road and deteriorate, deteriorate. Right, and the gas sure. tax is traditionally how they've been saying, like, well, be, people are driving on the roads; they're using gas, so that's how the money yeah. equals out. And so, yeah, yeah they they definitely need to do something because, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, but because because you have these uh you have these counter incentives, you have these counter incentives where you know we want people to get more efficient vehicles, right? Because it's better for the environment, but we also need to maintain the transportation infrastructure. So you, I mean, you can do that through subsidies, I think, of when you purchase the vehicle. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Um. I mean, you know, m- maybe that would work. I could also see, you know, incorporating. You know, there are a number of cities that have you know, special lanes for multiple occupant vehicles um, instead of, you know, a, a single rider in a car, you know, you could, you could structure yeah. finances around that as well. Like how many people are, are in the vehicle well, going to one place. With, with, with automated vehicles, there's another guy that has uh, introduced me to this idea with thinking about a 
empty uh, seat, like or, or seat occupancy tax, where if there's empty seats driving around, you pay, you charge the companies that are operating or the individuals operating a vehicle by, like per mile, you're paying three dollars per empty seat. Right. So people aren't fucking around and driving their automated vehicles. Right. <laughs> right. Joy ride. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Well, Alexis, this has been really fascinating. I I appreciate you coming on and and telling us about some of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a fascinating conversation. And every time I talk about it, I always learn something new from other people's perspective. So you guys are good people to talk to about it. (laughs) Okay, so we're just going to wrap this section up. When we come back, we've got a high note, which would be the room that nobody actually would want to be a fly on the wall in because it would just be too uncomfortable. But regardless of recommendation, I was going to fire Colbert. And in fact, when I decided to just do it, I said to myself, I said, you know, this Russia thing with Trump and Russia is a made-up story. It's an excuse by the Democrats for having lost an election. The only thing I can say is I think we've seen this movie before. I think it's reaching the point where it's of Watergate size and scale and a couple of other scandals that you and I have seen. It's a centipede and the shoe continues to drop. And every couple of days, there's a new aspect uh, of this really unhappy situation. I know this week a discussion with three people that you would never want to be in a room on purpose with <laughs> right? or something to that effect. Yeah, so this this tweet comes from uh, Adrian Carrasquillo. White House communications staffers just put the TVs on super loud after we could hear yelling coming from the room with Bannon, Spicer, Sanders. And that's just that is the funniest image to me that things have gone so haywire at the White House that they have to turn the TVs up real loud just so people <laughs> don't hear the like the top-level aides screaming at each other. Uh, amazing. Well, I always just kind of assumed that there's going to be a lot of yelling going on there anyways, <laughs> right. so this didn't seem like this would be that newsworthy, but this is the first time they've mentioned actually having to turn up ambient sound to uh, drown it out. <laughs> They're just going to get one of those white noise machines. Yeah, maybe it wasn't so that the reporters didn't hear them. Maybe it was so that their conversations wouldn't be picked up on the Trump tapes so yeah. that they'd be could be subpoenaed later or whatever. <laughs> Where they're just in there saying, like, the president said, what? Oh, my God. What, <laughs> what are we going to do? They were screaming to cover up one of them leaking stuff, you know? Like, I'm going to provide the cover, suppressing yell. Right. Yeah, I think the high note this week is just this week. Oh, my God. The news. I mean, since we recorded last, Trump fired the FBI director. Yeah. Told, like, 15 different stories about why that was including going out against all of his advisors and saying it was the worst possible interpretation, which was he didn't like them being investigated for Russia, so he just fired the dude who was running the investigation. And threatened to eliminate press conferences. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because he just couldn't, there's no way that his surrogates would be able to be 100% truthful (laughs) so fast. He's like, "We're, we're working so hard here. 
where you know it's impossible to be a hundred percent accurate all the time the with truth. all the all the work that's getting done. The work that's getting done is not prepared or thought out in any way. I mean, that is the problem. I mean, he nailed it for sure. You know that they only want to answer the questions that they want to answer. That's why press conferences make them so uncomfortable because they know there's not a justifiable answer for ninety percent of the shit that they pull. So you know, if they could just release a press release every week or every day and say, this is what we accomplished. No one would ever have the chance to ask them about these things that make them uncomfortable. And you see that attitude with them all the time because apparently there was this shock and bewilderment on the part of the White House staff. Like, we really didn't think that firing James Comey was going to be a big deal. This is uh, fascism stage one. Yeah, it's, it's like yeah. fascism by incompetence. I'd be more afraid of the fascism if they were competent on any level. It's so frustrating to watch Trump be so bad at being president. All of the people who are trying to attack him and have absolutely no impact on any, they're just completely ignored. But yet he still fails because he just shoots himself in the foot by just going (laughs) off and just blathering classified information to the Russians that he met with the day after (laughs) he fired the FBI for investigating Russia. It's just so infuriating that if he just could turn it around and not be his own worst enemy, he could be a really effective fascist dictator, I feel like. I mean, the squandered potential is, it's just tragic for all the fascists out there. I I kind of feel bad for them. Oh, man. One thing that did actually give me chills, I don't care if they were carrying tiki torches that they got at Home Depot, the 50 or so actual literal Nazis who showed up in Virginia to protest the taking down of one of those civil war memorials i mean they were creepy pictures a bunch of dudes holding torches at night there's a lot going on there right i just want to get it straight so the rules are if you are out in the streets you know marching saying like hey maybe don't shoot black people like a totally unacceptable terrorist organization but if you're out with literal torches saying like we're white supremacists and we love the confederacy that's no, cool. That's I like I think free they speech. were just chanting, "We will not be erased," right. and uh, they were chanting, "Russia, Russia is our friend." <laughs> which right. I'm like, man, okay, um, yeah, that's really yeah. weird. I mean, you clearly know, Trump took that message to heart, and then he was like, "Since they're we're so friendly with them, let's just give them some some top secret info." Well, and there was also this. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it was a sister march or it was just coincidental timing, but you also had a bunch of like 4chan, alt-right, MAGA hats show up in Boston over the weekend. It was just funny. I mean, one of the things that they chanted was, normies get out, normies get out. You know, like, that does not an effective or in any way intimidating a political movement make. Just feels good, man. That's what it's all about. That's when I love when they they get up there and they say, like, Bernie Sanders is just alienating real people with his talk of Medicare for all. Right, his talk about economic justice and stuff. It's such an alienating message. I mean, how could he ever expect to win? Yeah. Unlike the Trump people who are just so welcoming. Way to keep black people out, Bernie, you know? (laughs) Thing is, it's like those pictures from back in the day all those clad dudes that were walking around with torches and everything, they're all covered up. These guys are just out in the open right. with their they're faces. they're periscoping it. Yeah, know? exactly. They're like, man, I got to get some followers with this. Right. You, know? you got to have so. a torch in one hand and a selfie stick in the other hand. <laughs> but they did, there was a march like the next day in that town for um, unity and diversity or whatever. Oh, nice. And okay. that was supposedly, 
it supposedly drew more people than the original one. Yeah, but. probably. I mean, That's not what I read on alt-right Twitter. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, then you probably got it from Steve Bannon, so you probably had it screamed right. at you. He's the, <laughs> so. most, he's the most trusted name in news. Oh, yeah. Alexis, what was your favorite insane story from this week in insane news? Oh, so my by far and away favorite is this ABC article that came out about the acknowledgement that Trump's lawyers did an evaluation of his investments in over the last 10 years based on his tax returns. And it said that with few exceptions, he, <laughs> he'd had no income from Russia. <laughs> <laughs> if you just ignore the income that he had from Russia, he had none. If you okay. just ignore the part that was from there. <laughs> the key component of this article was that the law firm that did this was ranked the top Russian law firm Oh, sure. In 2016. Well, that sounds, uh, it's the top one, though. I mean, so they must be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. tops. I mean, I mean, to be to be fair, this is an international law firm. So, it, you know, they have many offices across yeah, the world. Yeah, but, sure, you know, it's, it's like when a person's like a doctor in Russia, and then they come to the U.S., and they have to be like a custodian at a hospital or something. I mean, it's like the top firm at Russia, you know, telling us that there's nothing there. It's like, okay, I'll take that for what it's worth. It's like Trump's doctor saying that he's the most uh, healthy person. Right. The healthiest person of all time. Yeah, there's this video of him, you know, golfing, you know, with his huge, like, gut hanging out. Tremendous health. Where he literally said that exercise is bad for you because it, like, overexerts your body and your soul energy or whatever like uh, it drains you like a battery or why would you waste you know all your battery energy that alone is like most perfect evidence that the guy's insane (laughs) you just gotta plug yourself back in donald figure it out right but yeah he would like tell people one of his employees was like i've been uh, training for a triathlon and he was like, you're going to kill yourself with that uh, that exercise. That exercise kills people. And it's like, what? His Long Island Dr. Nick Riviera, family doctor, he was like, he's the healthiest person in the world ever. You know, like yeah. that, that yeah. sounds like a pretty sober. I checked him all. From a practitioner that we should Even though he looks like you know the dude from Roswell in Independence Day with like that long <laughs> hair, you know, glasses. Brent Spiner's crazy yeah. character. Yeah, yeah, he looks like the dude who would be like, he's the doctor that tours with a Grateful Dead tribute band. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> Just to make sure everything they do out on the road is safe. Right. He's, he's got good credentials, right? He's the doctor who told Steve Jobs that if he just drank pomegranate juice he wouldn't die from thyroid cancer yeah well that worked out that worked out pretty good because steve jobs is still alive in every iphone that a child makes in cambodia there's an app for that absolutely (laughs) (laughs) foxconn baby Yeah. Uh, well, I'm well, sure next week the news is going to just like slow down you know yeah. Trump is probably going to do the pivot <laughs> and just be like super presidential like just be like sorry about that last time guys like I'm doing it for reals now this time the reset he really means right. it it's going to be a real reset like no reset <laughs> you've ever seen before Re- he might reset by like firing everyone in his administration That's and starting what I'm over I think that might help I'm predicting that there's going to be at least an administrative shakeup you know oh. within the next week or right. so Trump shakeup is a much better headline than like Trump treasonously gives top secret <laughs> info to hey you know Russia oh uh, man you know what so you, you gotta guys, do it I'm not in favor this i'm not in favor of this at all simply because of all of the shitty apprentice jokes 
we're going to have to put up with if he actually gets rid oh, of Oh, when he fi- when he starts firing people. What if what if like once a week he fires one of his cabinet members? <laughs> Dude. And, like and what if yeah, <laughs> what if he like gets Twitter response, it's interactive. It's like tell I me mean, who I should fire next. Right. <laughs> Hashtag trade the swamp. We know he's taping it. Is he also videotaping it Big Brother style uh, to just release after his presidency and just be like it's my new series, Big Brother White House Edition. So it turns out that this whole thing was actually a money grab by him, but not in the way that anybody predicted. It was that he was actually producing a reality TV show. The premise being, what if Donald Trump, this syphilitic oh buffoon, gets elected president and then hires all of the worst people in the world to work for him? If he came out and said that, I would literally do a 100% about face and just say like greatest president of all time. What if he w- what if it was actually undercover boss and it was just like a mid-level manager there and he was like, you know, I'm going to dress up like Donald Trump for an entire presidential term and just see how people treat right. me if I act super stupid. Yeah. Trump it- was replaced with a Trump impersonator in like 1987 <laughs> and just they just slid him in there and no they just it was Andy it's really Andy Kaufman right. he's been yeah, alive this oh, Andy Kaufman's been in hiding yeah. all that time. No and the the impersonator hangs out with the impersonator that replaced Avril Lavigne a few years ago when she died somehow. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, this is oh, your man. high note homework this week. You look up Avril Lavigne body double. Okay, I'm going to look it up. It's not going to be a high note. <laughs> <laughs> but that's probably a good place to wrap up this high note anyways. So thanks to everyone listening to the show. Alexis, thank you for so much for being on the show, joining us this week. Thank you, guys. I, I had a blast. And um, where can the audience find you on social media, like Twitter? Where can they follow you? Yeah, so uh, Twitter is my full name, Alexis John Biddle. Okay. If you want to hit my email up, alexis.j.biddle at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear from anyone that's listening. B-I-D-D-L-E. Cool. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. And as usual, you can always find us at liquid underscore flannel on Twitter, and you can uh, follow us individually. I am at Shaggy2Trope. Brendan, where can they find you? I'm at Brendan Williams with one L. And Matt, where are you at? I'm at Matt the Great with W. And also, don't forget to uh, like us and uh, leave comments on iTunes and share us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Alexis. Yay! Awesome. Do, do you think that the the banning of, you know, all psychoactive substances encourages people to get high on Jesus for reals? No. You don't think so? Mmm... Cause you know what I'm talking about, right? When peeps go to church and they like, they're like, I'm going to get so messed up right now. I'm going to like speak in tongues or whatever. (laughs) No, I I don't know. You don't think that's related at all? I mean, people aren't necessarily, I mean, I go to church and people aren't necessarily getting intoxicated on the Holy Spirit. I mean, you go to like, you go to boring church or whatever. I mean, you got to really just, if there's not snake handling (laughs) happening or whatever, like, (laughs) Yeah. They're jumping rope with snakes right. and stuff. If it's you know. not like the movie Red State from Kevin Smith, then, I mean, it's not real church, man. Did you see that dude that uh, tried walking on water and got <laughs> ate by alligators yes. or some shit? <laughs> they said that he fasted and prayed for, like, weeks, so I don't know what happened. What went wrong there? I mean, that sounds like 
That sounds like at least 45 minutes of intense Google searching. So <laughs> how can you go wrong, you know? I mean, you can get, you can catch a pretty good buzz off Jesus, but the hangover's terrible because you end up, right. you know, voting for uh, Republicans and yeah. put Donald Trump in office, and like it's just just a a nightmare hangover for mm. four years. Dude, I bet if that guy smoked a joint right before he was about to do that, he'd be like, "Wait a minute, you guys! <laughs> Wait, I just thought about something." Wait, <laughs> you know, There's like I a had lot a revelation. <laughs> <laughs> intervention a burning bush told me <laughs> right that this is horrible well that's horrible true. Do you idea. know that people uh suspect or i mean there may even be archaeological evidence to support this claim and there, there there very likely is that you know when they talk about like jesus used the anointing oils or whatever they had cannabis in them yeah um oh, sure. like the gnostic gospels or something right. i heard about that i believe there's also something about moses Maybe, you know, hitting the shrooms. Maybe. You know, I feel like this is last week we talked about Jesus statues. I feel like maybe this needs to be a theme in the show where we like <laughs> talk about a crazy ass Bible verse. Yeah, this week in Jesus. Yeah, I this week in Jesus. <laughs> okay. Everybody take note, it's happening. <laughs>